Great to see you this morning. If you are visiting or if you're here for the first time, can I give you a big welcome? My name's Steve. I'm one of the leaders here, and it's great to have you with us. One thing I want to say just before we jump into where we're at, and you can find Psalm 88 in your Bibles while I do this, can we please not allow the news that we've sold Ramley's Road Chapel, which is the little building just off Penny Lane, that by God's grace we were able to be for a number of years, let's just not like sort of allow the fact that we've sold that just to pass us by. COVID, unfortunately, and a few other difficulties regarding trying to sell the building meant that we weren't able to have like a final service in there to thank God for what he's done. Folks, it is remarkable what God has done with a little, little building in the back streets of the south end of Liverpool. There are people who were part of our church that walked into that church building when they were 11 and 12, and now they're in their 70s, praise God. And were able to be married and see their kids born and kids baptized. And it's just been a blessing for so many people. And for the last 11 years, a small team of us went to work with the small church that was there. And by God's grace, in that time, through that insignificant little building that the world would say, that is so insignificant. God has done immeasurable things that have eternal significance. Folks, because of the church family that gathered in that building, some of you have come to know Jesus through the witness of that. Some of you have been baptized. In fact, over 100 baptisms over the course of 11 years. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? We've planted four churches by God's grace and seen many people get saved and baptized in the different churches that we've been able to plant through an insignificant little brick, uh, red brick building on Ramley's Road in Liverpool. Who'd have thought today? Praise God. Yet yeah, it's only a building. It will go. But it's a building that God enabled a small group of people to reach out with the greatest news in the world. And by God's grace, many of us have been blessed by that. Isn't that wonderful? We want to thank God for the provision of that building. And now the provision of this building. And you know the wonderful thing is? We've been able to sell our building, the old building, to a gospel-centered church who are going to continue on the way. Isn't that wonderful? So the people that... It used to be a Welsh Presbyterian church. It was, born for, it was bought for £450 in 1944, I think, something around that time. So the people who formed Ramley's Road Chapel, their gospel legacy is continuing in through the lives of you guys, but in through the lives of a new church that's going to step in. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. Let's not allow, allow, allow news like that just to pass us by. Let's give God glory and thanks for that. Psalm 88, we begin our new series called Giving Voice to Pain, the Gift of Lament. I'm going to read. Let's read together. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to shale. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? 
Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Father, as we step into this new series, we ask that in the midst of darkness and in the midst of brokenness, we will see the hope and truth and light of the gospel. Help us, we pray, for your glory's sake. Amen. What is your story? your story with pain and suffering? What are the painful events that have shaped your life, your soul, and your understanding of God? What are some of the questions and struggles you frequently have to deal with or even fight with when you deal with pain? What do you do? In times of pain, in times of suffering, what do you do? This week I was reminded of the story of a lady called Johnny Erickson Tarda. Johnny is a Christian author, speaker, and also the founder of an organization called Johnny of Friends. And their sort of vision is to share the hope of the gospel and give practical help to people impacted by disability. Johnny was born into a home that was very competitive. Her mum and dad were sports people. They loved playing sports. They loved being outside. At the age of 17, she went swimming, and she dived into Chesapeake Bay, Bay. And after misjudging the shallowness of the water, she hit her head on the bottom, and as a result, suffered a fracture of her neck and was paralyzed from the shoulders down, becoming a quadriplegic. Johnny describes that for weeks she refused to get out of bed. When she was told that her paralysis was going to be permanent, she said that she died inside. She was riddled with confusion. She was riddled with anger, pain, dread, fear, disappointment. And she was brought to a situation where she just wanted to die. Till one day, when in the midst of all the pain and the confusion, she shouted out to God, God, if I can't die, please show me how to live. And that cry coincided with a good friend of hers that was seeking to counsel her who had opened up the book of Lamentations and read this from chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath, God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. 
Johnny says that as she read that, she thought, this is me. This is how I feel about my situation. This is how I feel about my life. And this is how I feel about God. But Johnny's reaction to what she had read actually caused her to marvel that the very words that she was reading were helping her express what she was feeling about her situation and what she was feeling about God. And she marveled because those very words were found in God's word itself. She was amazed because she came to realize that God welcomes our passionate expressions of grief and sorrow, our laments, and he welcomes them so much that he's even given us words to help us describe what we are feeling. Johnny came to realize the freedom of knowing that God wants us to come to him with our laments, of knowing that he understands, and in her words, when we are in pain, God feels the sting in his chest. God feels the sting in his chest. Folks, we don't have to be in a wheelchair. We don't have to have lost a child to know that sometimes sad situations don't get better. The problems don't always get solved. The conflicts don't always get fixed. The people divorce and don't get back together. The people are lonely. People get sick and ultimately death rocks our worlds and shakes our faith. As one of the pastors of your church, I have felt and know this myself. And I've also walked many miles with many of you through pain and suffering. And this past year has been painful for so many people in so many ways that we did not expect. Some of you have lost Loved ones. Some of you have lost relationships and have felt the pain of that more now because you've had to isolate on your own. Some of us have just gone further and further into issues of depression and anxiety and concern. Some of us are nervous about coming out into the, the, the world again when things change. We have suffered in ways that we did not expect. And the temptation for us folks as a church, as a people who like to move forward, who like to take ground, who actually thrive in and through change, the temptation is that we can draw a line under the last 12 months and just press on to what we think God has for us. But the irony of that being that actually God wants us to what he wants us to do is actually come to him in the reality of our pain and to lament that and to lament that together. Yes, we want to proclaim hope. We want to proclaim hope in the midst of our brokenness, encouragement and encourage each other to trust in our pain, but encouragement and hope in the absence of lament invalidates a suffered experience. It says, you should be happy and hopeful always without saying, we mourn with you because what you are experiencing isn't what you were made for and it's hard and it's painful. 
And folks, without an understanding of biblical lament, we may be in danger of having a shallow understanding of the gospel. Because we can't offer real hope to those who are suffering without first acknowledging that they are in fact suffering. We can't pick up this book and ignore that God has songs and stories and experiences of real people. And the Lord Jesus himself experiences things that cause and bring about a lament. Because they live and make sense of the world in the midst of a broken, brokenness just like us. So what we're going to do for the next eight weeks is look at, walk through, and together practice biblical lament as a church. We want to create space to process, to pray, and to lament together. So by way of introduction, I've got three questions that I want to answer today. First one is this, why lament? Second one is, where are we going? And the third one is, what if I'm okay? Number one, why lament? Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And number one, it's a language for loss. It's a language for loss. Sometimes we have no words to say what is happening. Agreed? No way of describing how we feel. We believe that all help is tried and won't help us. It won't help us get out of the black, dark room the pain is. And it makes us fearful to share with others in case we are proven right regarding having no hope. We feel at a loss. But the laments of the Bible give us words. They give us vocabulary to describe how we are feeling. When pain is as a result of loss, or that we are at a loss with our pain, God has given us words to express that. Verse 14 of Psalm 88, which we read, says this, Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face? Some of us actually feel that, but don't even have the words to express it. We read it, that's me. Or verse 4 and 5 of Psalm 88, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. I feel so far away from you. I feel lost, and I don't know how to express it, but God graciously has given us words to express what is going on. Lament is the language for loss. Number two, it is the solution for silence. Too many of us are either afraid or we refuse to talk to God about our pain and our struggles. This could be because of shame. This could be because of fear. It could be because of rejection. But biblical lament enables the door to talk with God to remain open. Just open. It's always open because God has given us words. He's given us songs. He's given us experiences that have been lived out by real people in his word that leave that door always open. Even in the midst of silence and not want to speak, the door is open because the words are there for us to share. And as Christians in pain, we believe that God is with us and he is with us in the pain, but sometimes we are so angry at him, we remain silent and don't speak. 
But biblical lament enables us to speak to the God that we are angry with. And he is the one who has graciously given us the words to say that breaks the silence. See, lament is the solution for silence because it enables us to bring and lay out our mess in front of a gracious God. Number three, it's the category for complaint. How can I complain to God? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't, doesn't seem right, does it? How can I complain to him? Steve, only a couple of weeks ago, you were saying that we had to have a gratitude attitude. We had to be, be thankful for what God has done in us and through us. Yes, that is right. But lament helps us see that complaining to God is not always sinful. Folks, some of our complaints to God are sinful, but not all our complaint is sinful. And in fact, it is a God-given category to help us vocalize our pain. Psalm 10 verse 1 says this right at the beginning. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's a complaint. Psalm 88 verse 6, we read it. You have put me in the depths of the pit. You have caused my companions to shun me. That's a complaint. But it also enables us to vocalize the tension of our suffering whilst also believing that God is in complete control. Psalm 13, right at the beginning, it says this, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted of me? Do you hear the pain? Do you hear the suffering? But then when you go to verse 5 of Psalm 13, the psalmist says this, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I have trusted that you love me. And I will rejoice in the fact that you have saved me. And in one psalm, you have this pouring out of complaint to God, but also the acknowledgments and the proclaimed belief that God is in complete control. Biblical lament is a category for complaint that enables us to vocalize the tension of our suffering and also believing that God is in complete control. Number four, biblical lament is a framework for feelings. See, biblical lament shows us that God deals with reality, not pretense and avoidance. Reality. Folks, I want us to know this, that circumstances and experiences that we face in our life are hermeneutical, and we don't even realize. What do I mean by that? They become lenses by which we use to interpret our life, and the emotions and the feelings that we are experiencing are not static. What that means is what we experience and, and, and the circumstances that we find ourselves are the very lenses that we view our life through and make sense of our life. But what we've got to remember is that those feelings and those circumstances and those emotions are often not static. They change. They move. They morph. 
into subtle conclusions about ourselves and others in our life and God. And my fear regarding the culture that we are living in is that within the pendulum swing of reaction towards feelings being the arbiter of truth and decision-making, we as Christian people will move away from the truth of how people feel and people will fail to see that the Bible doesn't offer a sanitized view of life or a sanitized view of our reactions to our pain in the midst of life, that it is full of dark, painful stories with people who are reacting to all sorts of circumstances, emotions, and feelings. Biblical lament is a framework for us to work through what we feel. But I want us to know the feelings are a gauge. They are not a guide. Feelings are a gauge that show us what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in our minds, how we're engaging with situations. But they are not the guide by which we are to follow to make sense of those things. They're a gauge, so therefore they matter. It was Spurgeon that said this, never ridicule the nervous and hypochondriac. Their pain is real. Though much of the evil lives in the imagination... It is not imaginary. They may have feelings about something that they should not have because the circumstances aren't what they think, but what they feel is real. It's a gauge to what is going on. See, as we read the Bible, what we see is that feelings are so important, folks. So important. They reveal what your heart loves. They reveal what your heart trusts. They reveal what you fear. And God, by his spirit and in his word, sets us free to neither deny personal honesty how we feel, nor equate truth to such honesty. See, we are to pay attention to how we are feeling. I remember preaching a sermon about nine years ago saying, ignore how you feel. That was the title of the sermon, right? It's no longer online because it was a terrible sermon. The reason why it's not online is because I can't equate what I said to what God says. We are not to ignore what we feel. We are to pay attention to our feelings. But we are not to live as though our feelings are the supreme arbiter of truth and reality. And biblical lament enables us a framework to walk through this with our feelings number five why lament because it is a process for our pain see lament biblical lament is more than recognizing the stages of grief or loss lament actually biblical lament actually invites us and invites god's people on a journey to walk through the reality of our suffering it's a journey that calls us to turn to god to lay our complaints before him, to ask him for help, and for us to choose to trust him. Psalm 22 is a famous psalm because the Lord Jesus Christ quotes the beginning of this psalm whilst on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me show you verses 1 and 2 what the psalmist says. He says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? 
from the words of my groaning. Oh God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Do you see where the psalmist goes with his complaints and his issues? Where does he go? My God. He turns to God, but then he lays out his complaints. Why are you so far from saving me? I'm crying out day by day, but you do not answer. Do you see that? The lane of complaints. And as, as you follow the psalm through, you get towards verses in 19 and 20. And what you see is as he laments, it shifts from the complaint for him as he turns to God to ask him for help. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. Do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from your sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Do you see that? He asks for help. He lays his complaint and he says, God, I need you to help me in this. And then the psalmist chooses to trust. Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. That declaration, that proclamation that I am trusting you, that I will praise you and I will share that amongst the congregation. I will share that amongst other people. He turns to God, he lays out his complaint, he asks for help, and in the midst of his pain, he chooses to trust. He chooses to trust. Biblical lament is a process for pain. And number six, it is a way to worship. Asking lament questions or complaining to God doesn't sound much like worship, does it? It doesn't. Worship is, I want to emotionally respond to the goodness of God and thank Him for who He is and raise my hands and sing and, and just enjoy who He is and who I am in light of Him despite what's going on. That's what worship is. I'm going to live every moment for the glory of God and take every opportunity. That's what worship is. Folks, if we think that and that alone is what worship is, we will struggle to walk through this life. The very psalm that we read at the beginning, Psalm 88, is a psalm, if you didn't realize, that's in the Word of God. But it's the only psalm that doesn't end with relief. It doesn't end with peace. It doesn't end with the promise of joy. And this psalm was written by a guy called He-Man. Which is really interesting because if you were born in the 70s and the 80s, you will remember a kid's cartoon called He-Man and the Battles of Grayskull. Was that what it was called? He-Man. Now, He-Man was a proper man, you know what I mean? He was cut, he was massive, he was dead strong, he had all the power. I find it quite funny because this guy, when you read Psalm 88, he doesn't seem to come across as a man who was strong in any way. But He-Man, who was an Azerite, clearly is struggling with life. And it's probably made worse by the fact that his mate, Ethan, who wrote Psalm 88, who is also an Ezraite, actually writes a psalm that's full of joy. He's one of them. You know when you're really down and you're really struggling and you walk into church or you go to GC or you just see another Christian and they're just like, happy, happy, joy, joy, and everything is fine. That's who Ethan was for He-Man. But as we read Psalm 88, I'm sure you saw it, that this man is in despair. He feels forsaken by God. 
He feels forsaken by his friends. He's lost feeling like God has turned his back on him. He cries out, why do bad things always happen and nothing changes? Is that you? Why don't you just for a minute put yourself in his shoes? Verses 3 and 5. As you read that, you will see he, you are in deep despair. that you feel like dying, that you've got nothing left, and you feel alone, cut off, even from God, verse 5. And then we move to verses 6 and 7, and that gets us to, to that point where you feel so alone, you feel forsaken by God, verses 6 and 7 that the holy anger of God is laid upon you and you feel not only forsaken by God, that you have lost your friends, verse 8. You've, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I have become tedious to my friends. They don't want to know me. Is that you? Do you feel like that? That you are suffering and you are in pain so much and something so difficult, you just feel tedious to those who are around you. This is how He-Man feels. You feel trapped and you feel helpless and you can't get out of it, verse 8. Verses 9 and 12, you feel as though you are dying, crying out for help, but nothing comes, nothing saves. And you cry, are your wonders, verse 12, done in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Verses 13 and 14, you feel as though God has turned his back on you. Verses 15 and 17, you feel like bad things always happen and nothing ever changes. Verse 18, you feel like you wake up every morning to a dark world and that your best friend in the world is darkness itself. Is that you? And as we read this, folks, does it bother you that this psalm does not end with a positive note? Darkness is my friend. Full stop. Does it unsettle you that something like this is in the Bible? Are you asking the question, what good can we get out of this psalm? Well, there's a few things. Number one. As you read this psalm, in light of God's word, we should be encouraged to know that God understands the full range of human experience and human emotion. The next psalm is a psalm that's full of joy. And in God's word, we have the depths of human experience and emotion. And then in the next psalm, a life of joy. We should be encouraged that God understands the full range of human experience. As we read through Psalm 88, we should see that the promise of a redeemer in light of the whole story, remember we don't just have this psalm, we have the whole story, the complete word of God, that the promises of a redeemer, a savior, and of hope comes to people who live in a world where things like this happen. The promise of a redeemer and savior and hope comes in and through the Lord Jesus Christ 
to people who live in a world where things like this happen. As we read this through and we see that this is God's word, God's honesty to the realities of life in this world invites us to be honest with him about the issues we face in this life. Folks, I want you to know, you may be here for the first time, you may be a new Christian, I want you to know this, that the Bible and biblical gospel-centered Christianity is not blind to the realities of life. It is not. It speaks right in with complete honesty, with an invitation for each and every one of us to be honest with our situations and bring them to God. And as we read in this psalm, what we will see is that actually going to God with our despair, our doubts and our fear is actually an act of faith. Even when we think he is shunning us by going to him is an act of faith. See that verses 1 and 2. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to me. There is this act and this declaration of faith that he is the God of his salvation and he is the one who needs to hear his cry. He is the one that needs to hear it. Verse 13, he does it again. But I, O Lord, cry to you. See, the psalm reminds me to run to God in desperate moments, not run away from him. The God openly in his word says, come with all that junk, all that complaint, all that worry, all that fear, all that doubt. Please don't run from me because as you run, your heart will become harder. No, come to me with all of that and I will meet you in your pain. And you will become softer. And folks, as we read Psalm 88, what we see is that the Bible describes a world that we all recognize, don't we? We all recognize this. If you don't recognize this, I don't know what world you are living in. If you don't recognize this, you've clearly got your eyes shut because people have got masks on in this room. Because of fear of a disease that has riddled this world and killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. It describes a world that we recognize where good things happen and bad things happen. Where people make wonderful decisions, but also people make horrible decisions. That the Bible describes a world that makes us laugh, but often it makes us cry. Folks, the Bible is real about how you feel because it is real about life. And biblical lament is a way for us to worship. But as we read through this psalm, Psalm 88, you actually see things in here that reveal something about this guy's heart. Verses 1, he cares about God. He cares that God hears this. He runs to him. Verse 2, he cares about prayer. I'm praying to you day and night. Please listen. He recognizes that God is sovereign, even in his complaint. Verse 6, what does he say? You have put me in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. He has this tension, this struggle, but he recognizes that God is in control of all this. He cares about community and God's people. Verse 5, he's wanting to be amongst God's people. He doesn't want to be shunned. He doesn't want to be tedious towards them. He needs and wants God's community around him. And he recognizes, verses 15 and 16, that he is a weak man. 
It reveals the reality of his heart as he comes before a holy God with his complaints and his difficulties. But as we read Psalm 88, in the midst of how we worship, worship in terms of bringing the reality of your situations that reveals our hearts, the greatest encouragement as I read Psalm 88 is this, is that it is a song. It's a song that was written for people to sing. And Heman was a son of Korah. And the sons of Korah in the Old Testament were the gatekeepers for the tabernacle, for the temple, where worship occurred, where sacrifice was made. And the sons of Korah were worship leaders. They wrote songs. Like the guys up here, they'd write songs for God's people to sing as they went into the tabernacle. And Psalm 88 is one of those songs. The He-Man and his mates, the sons of Korah, would lead God's people as they sang Psalm 88. Folks, that should greatly encourage us. Why? Because what we see here is that God intended the darkest human lament to be brought together with the brightest human hope. See, the tabernacle was a place of hope. The tabernacle where sins were put upon animals and animals died in the place of human beings who deserved to die because of their sin against God. But God graciously put the sin upon another who was a substitute and their death and their blood atoned, paid for the sins of God's people. There was hope in the midst of that sacrifice. And that's why God's people walk to the tabernacle to praise God for the hope. And actually God's intention as we read a psalm like this is that they were singing the darkest human laments as they were walking into the place where the brightest human hope was experienced. Sacrifice. It means that the honest expression of fear and pain and doubt were welcome in the place of worship, atonement and forgiveness. It means a song like this that the mess of human misery was welcomed into a place of glorious grace. And folks, everything that went on in the tabernacle was just a shadow, a picture of what was to come. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was the lamb that was slain. And as we see the Lord Jesus Christ on a cross, dying in our place as our substitute for our sin, as we see grace, mercy and grace poured out upon people who do not deserve it. As we see our sins being paid for and us as broken, busted up people being able to be forgiven and having the hope of eternal life. The same God who sent Jesus to show us the wonder of his grace is the same God that in his word puts Psalm 88 and says, brings all your brokenness Bring all your despair, bring all your fear, bring it to me to the place of worship, atonement, forgiveness, and grace, which is the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the gathering of his people, which is the singing of his praise. See, the psalm communicates so powerfully, God saying, shouting, urging all of us to come as we are. Come as we are. God is so gracious, folks, that even though he saves us, he still knows and understands that we are walking through brokenness and we will wrestle with that. And God isn't going, sort yourself out before you come in. He's like, no, I have sorted it for you, so come as you are. Folks, you've heard the phrase, you know, I'm putting on my Sunday best or I've got my Sunday face on. And I walk through the door and I act as though everything is okay. And people ask me how I am, and I say, I'm fine. When actually behind this, I'm not. I'm struggling. 
Folks, to actually be like that is to misunderstand the truth of the gospel and the truth of lament. That actually we should be walking in church and taking off those masks at the door and walking in the midst of our gospel community and saying, you know what, I am busted up, I am struggling, I am in pain, and we are welcomed in together as we come to that place of worship, forgiveness, atonement, and grace, and we bring that to God is saying, come as you are. He's not saying, put the mask on. The issue is this, he knows anyway. He knows anyway. Come with all your doubts, your fears, your pains, your worries, anxieties, your discouragements. Hold them all up before me. All your shattered dreams, all your hopes, come and find redemption and rest when there is none to be found anywhere else in the world. Folks, can I say this to you? Please, can I say this to you? There is nothing that this world can give that can deal with the pain and brokenness of this broken world. Nothing. God in his graciousness has worked through people who don't even acknowledge him to give us maybe techniques and give us things that help us on the road. But no true rest and satisfaction and peace and comfort is found when we cry out to the God who has stepped into that for us. And folks, to come as you are before a God who knows who you are is true worship. True, true worship. Folks, I look out out here, right? And I know the pain of so many of you. So many of you. God in his goodness is saying, drop the masks. Drop the masks. Bring it to me and let me step into the pain with you. And let God's people step into the pain with you too. That's why lament. So where are we going to go? We're going to spend eight weeks, folks. And we're going to spend some time looking through the Psalms to see what does it really mean for us in our pain and suffering to turn to God? What does that really mean? What does it really mean to complain to him? What does that mean? What does that look like? What does it really mean for us to ask of God? I think sometimes we get so fearful, don't we, that we think we don't want to come to God with our shopping lists. You've heard that, don't you? Oh, let's just make sure that the prayer is not showing. It's interesting. I read the Psalms. There's a lot of shopping lists in there. You know, it's not like asking for, you know, Uncle Joe's auntie's neighbor to have an ingrown toenail fixed. It's not that sort of shopping list. It's a list of all the things that I want to ask God of in the midst of my pain and suffering, in the midst of my hopes and my dreams, in the midst of my disbelief. I want to ask him, but also we want to see what does it really mean for us to trust him as we do that. We're going to spend weeks looking at that. And then we're also going to spend some time thinking through, through the book of Lamentations, thinking through that as we lament, actually the, the process of lament teaches us that the world is broken and that God is holy. Opening our eyes to the reality of that. That actually as we do that, we will see that lament teaches us that hope springs from truth. The truth of who Jesus is, the truth of the gospel, the truth of what he's promises. That actually that is true, assured, substantial hope in the midst of our brokenness. And we're also going to see that as we will lament and as we come to him who is light, that light is shined upon us. And what it reveals to us are idols within our hearts that God needs to deal, even in the pain idols are revealed 
And then we'll see how lament leads us to a knowledge of grace, that God is so gracious that he says, come to me as you are with all your broken brokenness. Folks, I actually think we only learn to know the grace of God when we come to him actually understanding grace, which is bringing all my brokenness to him. The wonder of grace is we don't deserve God. <laughs> we don't deserve him. We don't deserve his forgiveness. But he gives us of himself and he forgives us. And lament actually is another way of teaching us and showing us the knowledge of the wonderful grace of God. So that's what we're going to be doing on Sundays. And also what we're going to be doing in the week, not this week, but starting the following week. So we're going to have a time in the back hall there, which is warm and carpeted, where we want people to come and bring their laments. We want to create space for people to come to be honest. To create space for people to complain to God. To ask of God. And together to trust God. So that's what we're going to do. And folks, we're going to do it at a time where you can put the kids to bed and those who are able to be here to be here. I want to encourage you. It's not instead of GC. It's an addition. And together... We're going to lament, pray, and trust. So finally, last question. What if I'm okay? I get that, Stephen. But what? I'm doing okay. Folks, can I tell you this? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I feel, I feel okay. Got to lose a few pounds, but I feel okay. I don't feel down. I feel a bit physically tired, but I, I'm Okay. But it is right for us as God's people, even if we feel okay to lament so that we can weep with those who weep. So that we can show up, shut up, and be present with those who are bringing their laments. We are to weep with those who weep. So if you're okay, you're in a great situation and position to walk with other people who aren't. If you're feeling okay, we want to do this because we want to lament. So when seasons of suffering come, we know where to go. None of us are going to get out of this life without suffering in some way. None of us. In September 2013, folks, I spoke, I think, about three weeks, and it was just heavy, heavy suffering. And I hadn't suffered much, really. A little few bits and bits, but, you know few disagreements and stuff, not major suffering. Sean hadn't. As a church, we hadn't. Little did I know that six weeks later after that, we would find out that our eldest daughter has a tumor in her spinal cord that's growing. And God had given me the opportunity to spend hours walking through the reality of dealing with suffering in a broken, busted-up world with God who is in the midst to prepare us to walk into something that we did not expect in any way. Folks, if you are feeling okay, it is good for us to lament with others and to lament and to think about it so when seasons of suffering come, we know where to go. And if you are saying that in and of yourselves, well, I'm okay, maybe it's because we should be lamenting more than we are. 
Because you may be okay in your little bubble. You may be okay in your little life, in your situation. But folks, all you have to do is raise your head for less than a minute and you see the brokenness, not only in this room, but in the world that we're in. Knowing that we aren't made for this. Knowing that the reason why it's hard and it's painful is because we're not made to walk through brokenness. We're made to walk in life. But sin brings it in, brings about a distortion. Then even though in my bubble I might be okay, the issue is this, the world is falling apart around us in the lives of some of the people that we love dear. So therefore, maybe we are not lamenting as much as we should be. And folks, if we ask that question, if, what if I'm okay? Let us not forget that the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect, lamented. He lamented. I'm reminded of John 11, where his good friend Lazarus, Lazarus has died, and Jesus gets word that he's sick, but delays. Then he goes, doesn't he? And when he arrives, Martha runs to him and says, look, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And then he, they take him to where the grave is, and Mary, verse 32, walks to him and says the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's a lament, isn't it? And what's Jesus' response? He cried. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Jesus lamented. Jesus, even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, his response wasn't, it's okay, Mary, I've got this. He laments. Why? Because the brokenness of death that had come into the, into the world was having a major effect, not only on Lazarus because he was dead, but his sisters as they grieved. And it brought him to a position of grief and lament for the brokenness of the, the world. So if you're sitting there thinking, I'm okay, well, you must have something that Jesus did not have. Jesus lamented. It was the Lord Jesus that when he was on the cross, Paying the sin, the, the, paying the judgment for the sin that we all deserve, folks. He was on the cross, battered, bruised, exposed to the world. And what does he do? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, and I understand that he quotes that to all those who were around him knew who, who he was. Yes, but let's not take away the human emotion and feeling that the Lord Jesus felt in that moment. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus lamented, folks. He who was sinless lamented the brokenness of the situation. And in Isaiah 53, verse 3, Isaiah, 700 years before the Lord Jesus was born, describes him as someone who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, but someone who was acquainted with our grief. He understood our grief. He understood our sorrow. He understood our pain. He knew and he experienced the brokenness of the world and he lamented. And in the garden before the day, before the time, for the reason why he came was there, what does he say? Lord, Lord, if there's another way, take this cup from me. He laments. So folks, if we think that we are okay, maybe we're not lamenting enough. And maybe we don't understand the reality of what it meant for Jesus to step into brokenness on our behalf. We have a God who knows. We have a God who's experienced. We have a God who knows the brokenness of the world and a God that has 
shouted and called out to his own father. We have a savior, the Lord Jesus, who is the one who is acquainted with grief, who is now reigning in glory at his father's side, but still bears the scars of his torture. He still bears them. He has holes in his hands. He has holes in his feet. He has the marks of the whip on his, on his back. He has the hole in his side. Jesus knows the brokenness that you are feeling, the suffering that you are experiencing. And Jesus not only lamented that, Jesus also stepped in and dealt with that. He stands there with his arms wide open and says, come to me. Come as you are with all your brokenness. He is not distant. He is in this. And he says, bring it on. Bring it to me. And folks, over the next eight weeks, we want to help each other to lift up our agony and our trust to Jesus. And my prayer is that he will meet us there in all our lament that we bring over the course of the next eight weeks. We want as a church to give voice to pain and experience the gift of lament. Because to lament is to actually step in with complete trust in the reality of our situations with a God who wants us to go there with him. So can I encourage you, please, to gather Cornerstone. Let's not draw a line over the last 12 months. Let's lament them. Let's thank him for sustaining us. Let's acknowledge his sovereignty even in the midst of major tension where people have lost so much. Let's acknowledge that even though we feel physically alone, we aren't alone because he is with us and God's people are around us. And let us have our eyes and our ears open to hear the cries of brothers and sisters who are all around us. And let's not pass them off as being weak or snowflakey or, or flaky as people. Let us step into the brokenness of their pain. Because maybe, yes, maybe they may have it wrong regarding the situations, but their pain is not imaginary. So let's walk with them and share the truth of the gospel. And let us together receive support and help from others in the midst of our gospel communities, in the midst of us gathering together, in the midst of spending time in the coming weeks, bringing our laments to God. And my hope is that our trust in him will grow, not only for our good, not only for the good of each of us as we look at each other, but also for the good of those who do not know Jesus, who have no grid to deal with the pain of this world. And they may see the wonder of what it means to walk as people in a broken world who have great trust in a God who is in it and in the midst of it with us. We want to give voice to pain and know and experience as a church the gift of lament. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We praise you. That you have not left us to try and figure this out on our own, that that you've actually dealt with that, but also given us your word to help us express. And actually to bring those things to you is an act of worship. And Lord, now as we do some of that to music, 
we ask, Lord, that you would help us see that even though our faith would fail, you promise to hold us fast. Even when the tempter seems to prevail in tempting us not to trust you, you hold us fast. When we think that everything is gone and everything is lost, you hold us fast. We thank you, Jesus, that you are, have done and are doing everything to keep us as your people. That is assured. So help us walk in the freedom of that to bring all our laments, all our worries, all our concerns to you and open our, our eyes, Lord, to have the eyes of Christ to view others around us who are struggling in those ways. Father, those who are in this room who are separated from their loved ones, whatever that may be, husbands, wives, because of sin or because of just distance, show them that you, you're with them in the midst of that. For those who have been let down by your people in big, big ways, let them know that you are with them in the midst of them and actually that is not reflective of your, of your people as a whole. For those who have lost kids, whether before birth or after, pray Lord that they would know the comfort that you are there right in the midst of that and you know exactly what they're experiencing. For those of us who are riddled with the fear of where our children are going to be in months and years to come, help us trust you. For those of us, Lord, who are in so much pain because we don't know what the health issues are going to be of people that we love so much. Give us the courage to come to you with those complaints. Father, when we feel inadequate and when we feel not worthy, show us that we are your children. When we don't know what to say, when we're at a loss, Help us by your spirit to open the word and give us the words to say. And bring comfort through that, we pray. Holy Spirit, come upon us as we sing. Stir our hearts as we sing. Accept of our praise and our prayers, Lord Jesus, as we sing. God, our Father, be glorified. Let's stand and sing together, Lord.